Chapter Seventeen of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen. In which Mark makes an enemy and recovers a friend. Mark's fame was still increasing, and he began to have proofs of this in a pleasanter and more substantial form than empty compliment. He was constantly receiving letters from editors or publishers inviting him to write for them and offering terms which exceeded his highest expectations several of these proposals all the more tempting ones in fact he accepted at once not that he had anything by him in manuscript just then of the kind required from him but he felt a vague sense of power to turn out something very fine indeed long before the time appointed for the fulfilment of his promises but so far he had not done any regular literary work since his defection he was still at St. Peter's, which occupied most of his time, but somehow, now that he could devote his evenings without scruple to the delights of composition, those delights seemed to have lost their keenness, and besides, he had begun to go out a great deal. He had plenty of time before him, however, and his prospects were excellent. He was sure of considerable sums under his many agreements as soon as he had leisure to set to work. There could be no greater mistake than for a young writer to flood the market from his inkstand, a reflection which comforted Mark for a rather long and unexpected season of drought. Chilton and Fladgate had begun to sound him respecting a second book, but Mark could not yet decide whether to make his coup with One Fair Daughter or Sweet Bells Jangled. At first he had been feverishly anxious to get a book out, which should legitimately be his own as soon as possible, but now, when the time had come, he hung back. He did not exactly feel any misgivings as to their merits, but he could not help seeing that with every day it was becoming more and more difficult to put illusion completely in the shade, and that if he meant to effect this, he could afford to neglect no precautions. New and brilliant ideas, necessitating the entire reconstruction of the plots, were constantly occurring to him, and he set impulsively to work, shifting and interpolating, polishing and repolishing, until he must have invested his work with a dazzling glitter, and yet he could not bring himself to part with it. He was engaged in this manner one Wednesday afternoon in his rooms, when he heard a slow, heavy step coming up the stairs, followed by a sharp rap at the door of his bedroom, which adjoined his sitting-room. He shouted to the stranger to come in, and an old gentleman entered presently by the door connecting the two rooms, in whom he recognised Mr. Lightowler's irascible neighbour. He stood there for a few moments without a word, evidently overcome by anger, which Mark supposed was due to annoyance at having first blundered into the bedroom. "'It's old Humpage,' he thought. "'What can he want with me?' The other found words at last, beginning with a deadly politeness i see i am in the presence of the right person he began i have come to ask you a plain question here he took something from his coat-tail pocket and threw it on the table before mark it was a copy of illusion i am told you are in the best position to give me information on the subject will you kindly give me the name the real name of the author of this book i have reasons valid reasons for requiring it and he glared down at Mark, who had a sudden and disagreeable sensation, as if his heart had just turned a somersault. 
could this terrible old person have detected him and if so what would become of him instinct rather than reason kept him from betraying himself by words Th that's a rather extraordinary question sir he gasped faintly perhaps it is said the other but i've asked it and i want an answer if the author of the book said mark had wished his real name to be known i suppose he would have printed it have the goodness not to equivocate with me sir it's quite useless as you will understand when i tell you that i happen to know he repeated this with withering scorn i happen to know the name of the real author of this this precious production i had it let me tell you on very excellent authority who told you said mark and his voice seemed to him to come from downstairs had holroyd made a confidant of this angry old gentleman a gentleman whose relation i think you have the privilege to be sir come you see i know you mr mr cyril ernstone he sneered are you prepared to deny it mark drew a long sweet breath of relief what a fright he had had this old gentleman evidently supposed he had unearthed a great literary secret but why had it made him so angry certainly not he replied firm and composed again now i am mr cyril ernstone i'm very sorry if it annoys you it does annoy me sir i have a right to be annoyed and you know the reason well enough do you know said mark languidly i'm really afraid i don't then i'll tell you sir in this novel of yours you've put a character called wait a bit ah yes called blackshaw a retired country solicitor sir very likely said mark who had been getting rather rusty with illusion of late i'm a retired country solicitor sir you've made him a man of low character you show him up all through the book as perpetually mixing in petty squabbles sir on one occasion you actually allow him to get drunk now what do you mean by it good heavens said mark with a laugh you don't seriously mean to tell me you consider all this personal i do very seriously mean to tell you sir young gentleman said mr humpage showing his teeth with a kind of snarl there are people who will see personalities in a proposition of euclid said mark now completely himself again and rather amused by the scene i should think you must be one of them mr humpage will it comfort you will it comfort you if i let you know that i that this book was written months before i first had the pleasure of seeing you no sir not at all that only shows me more clearly what i knew already that there has been another hand at work here i see that uncle of yours behind your back here do you though said mark he's not considered literary as a general rule oh he's quite literary enough to be libellous just cast your eye over this copy your uncle sent this to me as a present the first work of his nephew i thought at first he was trying to be friendly again till i opened the book just look at it sir and the old man fumbled through the leaves with his trembling hands here's a passage where your solicitor is guilty of a bit of sharp practice underlined by your precious uncle and here he sets two parties by the ears underlined by your uncle in red ink sir and it's like that all through the book now what do you say 
"'What can I say?' said Mark, with a shrug. "'You must really go and fight it out with my uncle. "'If he is foolish enough to insult you, "'that is not exactly a reason for coming here to roar at me. "'You're as bad as he is, every bit. "'I had him up at sessions over that gander, "'and he hasn't forgotten it. "'You had a hand in that affair, too, I remember. "'Your victim, sir, was never quite the same bird again. "'You'll be pleased to hear that. "'Never the same bird again.' "'Very much to its credit, I'm sure,' said Mark. "'But oblige me by not calling it my victim. "'I don't suppose you'll believe me, "'but the one offence is as imaginary as the other.' "'I don't believe you, sir. "'I consider that to recommend yourself to your highly respectable uncle "'you have deliberately set yourself to blacken my character, "'which may bear comparison with your own, let me tell you. "'No words can do justice to such baseness as that.' i agree with you if i had done such a thing no words could but as i happen to be quite blameless of the least idea of hurting your feelings i'm beginning to be rather tired of this you see mr humpage i'm going sir i'm going i've nearly said my say you have not altered my opinion in the least i'm not blind and i saw your face change when you saw me you were afraid of me you know you were what reason but one could you have for that of course mark could have explained even this rather suspicious appearance but then he would not have improved matters very much and so like many better men he had to submit to be cruelly misunderstood when a word might have saved him although in this case silence were neither quixotic nor heroic i can only say again he replied in his haughtiest manner that when this book was written i had never seen you nor even heard of your existence if you don't believe me i can't help it you've got your own uncle and your own manner to thank for it if i don't believe you and i don't there are ways of juggling with words to make them cover anything and from all i know of you you are likely enough to be apt at that sort of thing i've come here to tell you what i think of you and i mean to do it before i go you've abused such talents as you've been gifted with sir gone out of your way to attack a man who never did you any harm you're a hired literary assassin that's my opinion of you i'm not going to take any legal proceeding against you i'm not such a fool if i was a younger man i might take the law in the shape of a stout horsewhip into my own hands as it is i leave you to go your own way unpunished by me only mark my words you'll come to no good there's a rough sort of justice in this world whatever may be said and a beginning like yours will bring its own reward some day sir you'll be found out for what you are that's what i came to say and he turned on his heel and marched downstairs leaving mark with a superstitious fear at his heart at his last words and some annoyance with holroyd for having exposed him to this and even with himself for turning craven at the first panic i must look up that infernal book again he thought holroyd may have libelled half london in it for all i know now it may be as well to state here that vincent holroyd was as guiltless as mark himself of any intention to portray mr humpage in the pages of illusion he had indeed heard of him from the langtons but the resemblances in the imaginary solicitor to dolly's godfather were few and trivial enough and like most of such half unconscious reminiscences required the aid of a malicious dullness to pass as anything more than mere coincidences 
but the next day while mark was thinking apprehensively of illusion as a perfect mine of personalities the heavy steps were heard again in the passage and up the staircase he sighed wearily thinking that perhaps the outraged mr humpage had remembered something more offensive and had called again to give him the benefit of it however this time the visitor was mr solomon lightowler who stood in the doorway with what he meant to be a reassuring smile on his face though owing to a certain want of flexibility in his uncle's features mark misunderstood it oh it's you is it he said bitterly come in uncle come in you undertook when i saw you last never to speak to me again but i don't mind if you don't i had a thorough good blackguarding yesterday from your friend humpage so i've got my hand in will you curse me sitting down or standing the other one stood no no it ain't that my boy i don't want to use hard words i've come to say let bygones be bygones mark my boy i'm proud of you what of a literary man my dear uncle you can't be well or you've lost your money i'm much as usual thanky and i haven't lost any money that i know of and and i mean it mark i've read your book i know you have so has humpage said mark uncle solomon chuckled you made some smart hits at humpage he said when i first saw there was a country solicitor in the book i said to myself that's going to be humpage and you add him fine i will say that i never thought to be so pleased with you you need not have shown your pleasure by sending him a marked copy i was afraid he wouldn't see it if i didn't explained mr lightowler and i owed him one over that gander which he summonsed me for and got his summons dismissed for his trouble but i've not forgotten it perhaps it was going rather far to mark the places but there i couldn't help it well i suppose you know that amounts to libel said mark either from too hazy a recollection of the law on the subject of publication or the desire to give his uncle a lesson libel why i never wrote anything only underlined a passage here and there you don't call that libelling a judge might and anyway uncle it's deuced unpleasant for me he was here abusing me all the afternoon when i never had any idea of putting the hot-headed old idiot into a book it's too bad it really is umpage won't law me he's had enough of that don't you be afraid and don't show yourself poor-spirited you've done me a good turn by showing up umpage as what i believe him to be what's the good of pretending you never meant it to me you don't know how pleased you've made me it's made a great difference in your prospects young man i can tell you so you told me at the cock said mark i don't mean that way this time i dare say i spoke rather hasty then i didn't know what sort of literary line you were going to take up with but if you go on as you've begun you're all right and when i have a nephew that makes people talk about him and shows up them that makes themselves unpleasant as neighbours why what i says make the most of him and that brings me to what i've come about how are you off in the matter of money eh mark was already beginning to feel rather anxious about his expenses his uncle's cheque was by this time nearly exhausted his salary at st peter's was not high and as he had already sent in his resignation that source of income would dry up very shortly he had the money paid him for illusion but that of course he could not use he had not sunk low enough for that though he had no clear ideas what to do with it 
he would receive handsome sums for his next two novels but that would not be for some time and meanwhile his expenses had increased with his new life to a degree that surprised himself for mark was not a young man of provident habits so he gave his uncle to understand that though he expected to be paid some heavy sums in a few months his purse was somewhat light at present why didn't you come to me cried his uncle you might a known i shouldn't a stinted you you never found me near with you and now you're getting a big literary pot and going about among the knobs as i see your name with why you must keep up the position you've made and you shall too you're quite right to drop the schoolmastering since you make more money with your scribbling your time's valuable now set to and scribble away while you're the fashion make your a while the sun shines my boy i'll see you through it i want you to do me credit i want everyone to know that you're not like some of these poor devils but have got a rich old uncle at your back you let em know that will you and quite in the manner of the traditional stage uncle he produced his cheque-book and wrote a cheque for a handsome sum intimating that that would be mark's quarterly allowance while he continued to do him credit and until he should be independent of it mark was almost too astounded for thanks at first by such very unexpected liberality and something too in the old man's coarse satisfaction jarred on him and made him ashamed of himself but he contrived to express his gratitude at last it's all right said uncle solomon i don't grudge it you you just go on as you've begun i hope that doesn't mean making more hits at humpage thought mark you thought you could do without me but you see you can't and look here make a friend of me after this do you hear don't do anything without my advice i'm a bit older than you are and perhaps i can give you a wrinkle or two even about literary matters though you mayn't think it you needn't have been afraid your uncle would cast you off mark so long as you're doing well as i told your mother the other day there's nothing narrow-minded about me and if you feel you've a call to write why i don't think the worse of you for it i'm not that kind of man and after many more speeches of this kind in the course of which he fully persuaded himself and very nearly his nephew that his views had been of this broad nature from the beginning and were entirely uninfluenced by events he left mark to think over this new turn of fortune's wheel by which he had provoked a bitter foe and regained a powerful protector without deserving one more than the other he thought lightly enough of the first interview now it was cheaply bought at the price of the other and after all he said to himself what man has no enemies but only those whose past is quite stainless or quite stained can afford to hold their enemies in calm indifference and although mark never knew how old mr hunpidge's enmity was destined to affect him it was not without influence on his fortunes End of chapter 17